And I think a lot of people don't realize how friendly and genuine a lot of people are out there in the world. And a lot of people are so willing to help you and to take care of you and to, and to put you in. And that's something I've made some of my closest friends that way, you know, traveling around the world. And it's something that I think most people don't even consider. And it's not something that you should necessarily rely on. But if you're going to be traveling, you'll be encountering people like that. And a lot of times they're going to help you in tough situations and they're going to help you, you know, stretch your money out longer when it comes to accommodation or food or something like that. Uh, it's just about applying yourself and, and keeping that open mind of like, yes, saying yes to a lot of opportunities. Maybe not necessarily things that will put you in danger, but saying yes to as many opportunities as you can will really, really help you in the long run. Welcome back to the Creator Nation podcast, where we interview your favorite creators from around the world to find out how they have made their passions their professions. With us today is Stal Oran, a Florida-born travel tuber who has been creating on the internet for five years now. I had a really insightful chat with Tal, and we talked about why you should really just jump on a plane and start traveling how traveling changes you as a person, and how to make a living doing what you love. Well, listen in, and we hope you enjoyed this edition of the Creator Nation podcast, powered by CreatorSack. Tal Oran, you have been traveling since you were 17, am I right? Yes, sir. All right, and how many countries have you been to? I've been to exactly 50 now. 50 countries, and you are now 24. 24 years old, yeah. 50 countries at 24 years old, and I'm sure he's had an infinite number of adventures. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Create a Nation podcast, Shaloran. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me. This is Jumpo. What inspired you to like start travel as a lifestyle at 17? I sort of have never been content with living the uh, sort of like nine to five streamlined life that, that most people you know enjoy. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I've just always had a bit of a struggle with it. I've moved around a lot ever since I was a kid between Israel and the United States and never really had like a closed group of friends or like a school that I went to. So traveling has sort of always been a part of my life, but it was only between two very distinct places like the US and Israel. When I was 17, when I was in high school, I was very influenced by like this genre on YouTube that was starting up, which was called travel vlogging, which was basically people showing their travels around the world and making cinematic videos out of it. And I was very inspired by the fact that I was like, man, you can just do that. You can just travel. Like that's a right. thing. But who uh, opposed to it? I had no idea. My only experiences right. of travel, going to these two places I've been to, the US and Israel, and seeing like travel food shows on the travel channel. I didn't really right. know it was so possible to just backpack or travel or do anything like that. And uh, at the end of my uh, high school year, I was in a relationship with a girl that was pretty rocky. And I mm -hmm. got pretty sad and depressed when it ended right before the end of the year. And I right. really felt like I needed to escape uh, the United States needed to go somewhere far, very far away from home. I ended up going to Africa. I ended up doing like a two-week safari trip through Africa, which changed at, my life. At 17? At 17, yeah. That's I, pretty I insane. Did, didn't any of your friends stop you and ask you what you were doing? Well, they, they were so curious about what I was doing that they, they were the ones who egged on the idea of making a YouTube channel out of it. I didn't really get uh, many opinions. I think uh, I would say Miami, where I lived at the time, it's a very close-minded place as is. <laughs> right. in, in general, yeah. people like to live the sort of uh, standard life of like big house, fast car, lots of money, uh -huh. like the, they're chasing the nine to five or just chasing the entrepreneurship of life. And you tell someone that you're going to Africa from there, they're always going to be a little bit like, what is wrong with you? Right. But, you know, I came back in one piece and I had all these amazing travel experiences. I, I'm positive and I'm sure and I know for a fact that I definitely inspired a lot of my friends to start traveling a bit, even took some of them with me. And it was the best decision I ever made. Right. 
And you've been making that decision over the last seven years as well. Huh? Yeah, I've been running with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. Dude. So how's life right now as a, as a filmmaker during COVID? It's been really interesting, man. It's been, uh, it's been testing. Uh, you know, it's been stretching my creative uh, flow a lot. This thing destroyed all my plans for what I had going for myself, my business, my my channel. It sort of has had to make me improvise on the spot, like what I'm trying to do with my life and what I want to accomplish. Uh, sure. So it's been interesting as a filmmaker, you know. But I've been blessed to to be on this island to meet some incredible people here in the Philippines that have really shaped my life, and I've gotten really into surfing recently. It's been something that I've taken up. So I've been sort of letting the videos and the editing sit on the back door right now. I've been just mm-hmm. sort of uploading stuff that I filmed. Uh, Pre-COVID, I've been focusing like 99% of my days on just learning how to surf and improving my surf over and over and over again. Is that one of the best things about traveling, about the lifestyle that you have, the fact that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to? It's a double-edged sword, yeah. It's both a really amazing thing, but also it could be at times a really bad thing because you have complete and utter control of your life. You know, I don't think anybody's ever 100% happy with who they are or where they are in life. When all the decisions are yours to make, you make mm-hmm. some mistakes, you make a lot of mistakes sometimes, and those mistakes are ultimately always going to be your fault because you made them and nobody else told you to do them. But right. at the end of the day, you know, like every mistake I learned from, and at the end of the day, also every mistake is mine to own and to wear as a badge and to learn from. You know, I try my best to live to the most that I possibly can, like to the, to the best possible outcome. And every day is like a new adventure. For sure, for sure. Dude, at least all of your mistakes have been super interesting. Yeah, and I filmed a lot of them, which has been cool. Yeah, that, that is another thing as well. You have stories to show your children. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's been really, it's been really cool. Right. So how did you get introduced to filmmaking? Like you said, how you got introduced to traveling. What about filmmaking? Well, my dad used to own an electronic shop in Miami. Um, so I was always around cameras, around like uh, digital cameras and disposable cameras as a kid. A lot more right. into photography in the beginning. When I was around 13, I spent all the money that I had. It was probably around like 700 bucks to buy a DSLR camera, like my first professional right. Canon E3i, to start a, uh, a business in Miami, mostly focusing on Jewish events in the city, filming like bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and weddings and birthdays and whatever within the Jewish community. Um, so word got around that I, I charged really cheap prices because, of course, I was an amateur and I didn't do the best possible job because I didn't really know what I was doing, but I learned a lot through that, you know, filming and, and editing and all that stuff. A lot of it came through that work that I did. And I ended up hating that in the end. Like I resented it almost completely. It made me never want to do something like that again. But through that, I learned a lot. Most of what I know now, um, you know, it gave me the experience and almost everything that I do on a day-to-day basis and it's helped me form into what I do now. So you were always a hustler. Like you started this at 13 and you started a business at 13. Uh, I don't know how to call it up. I think I'm way more of a hustler now because I'm, I'm way more into the business mindset now. But I think as a kid, uh, especially younger, I actually was the opposite. I, I was way more reserved, way less confident in my abilities. And my biggest dream and aspiration was to become a movie director. I wanted to follow in the footsteps of like Steven Spielberg. Way less of a business mindset and, you know, way less of like making money as an important thing. It was more about like filmmaking and the art of it and writing movies and writing scripts and stuff like that. So. I think I've become more of a hustler now because I have to, <laughs> because it's part of my day-to-day now that I have to work and try to close deals and sponsorships and whatever and all that stuff. But I've always been a very driven person, I think. There's been very few periods in my life where I haven't been driven or wanting to put 100% of my effort into what I'm pursuing. So I think it's more of that rather than being a, a hustler. Right, right. Makes sense. Cool. So you said uh, Steven Spielberg, right? So what, what happens yeah. to your filmmaking ambitions right now? 
I would say they're slowly coming through. This year, I got to film an elephant documentary in Sri Lanka. Right. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. That that is one of the most prideful. I've, I actually get quite emotional when just talking about it. It was the, the most effort I've ever invested into a project, and the most my heart has been tied up into something like that. And it involved wildlife, which to me is like number one. You know, I, I'm very, very inspired by Steven Spielberg's work on Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park has been the movie that has shaped my life as a whole. I think about it every day, almost every minute of the day. As weird as it sounds, I'm like a fanatic about that movie. If you watch that documentary that I made, you can see there's lots of scenes, lots of drone, sh- drone shots, lots of music that's very, very inspired by the themes in Jurassic Park. It's something that I'm pursuing that I want to develop, but a big goal of mine has been to sort of push the message of animal conservation, of wildlife conservation, specifically for endangered species. I really want to be an ambassador for the animals that don't have a voice out there, especially the ones that we're really close to losing. I want to make sure that those animals are at least preserved for generations. And if they do go extinct, at least there's some sort of video evidence that they existed beyond the Discovery Channel, beyond the BBC, showing people that these were animals that a person like you and I could go out and see. Because I I really consider myself a very, very standard, regular person. I even talk down to myself a lot and think I'm below most people. (laughs) I like to show people through me how real these animals are, how tangible they are, how close up you can really get to them. As just a normal everyday person, you don't need to be a camera crew with a half a million dollar budget just to go out and see these animals. So it's a big part of my mission now is, is sort of getting into that filmmaking cinematically, but also not so high production and not so high and far away from the average consumer that people feel like it's just a movie. I want to show people that these things are real. That these are real animals that you can go and touch and feel and see up and close. That's where the filmmaking is sort of starting to come into right now. Right. And YouTube is the perfect platform for engaging in content like that for a real one-on-one connection with your audience, right? For sure. What other animals do you see yourself trying to save in the next? Well, (laughs) to save is a (laughs) a little difficult, but two of them are in India that I really want to focus on. One of them is called the Gharial. It's a Mm -hmm. alligator species uh, or crocodile species that lives in, I think, the southwest of India. Um, And it's only in India. They're super, super rare. I think there's like less than 60 left in the wild. And there's like super prehistoric crocodiles that are harmless to humans and they're huge. And a lot of people don't even know that they exist. They look like aliens. Um, They have these super long snouts. So that's one that I really want to focus on. The number one that on my list is the snow leopard. It's going to be one of the big cats that goes extinct next. Um, And sadly, we've lost so many big cat species, you know, like so many different species of tiger and lion through the years that this is one that I feel extremely passionate about trying to shine light on. I feel like most people don't think about them enough on the day-to-day, rightfully so, because they're so far disconnected from most people, you know, in the Himalayas living alone. (laughs) It's like so far disconnected from somebody who's, let's say, living in New York City or in Texas or even in South America somewhere. Like, why why would they ever think about a snow leopard? But I want to document these animals and show people that they exist and that they're out there and that they need our help. They need our intervention. Maybe beside those two animals, one of the biggest things that I want to do is go deep into the Congo jungle in Central Africa and sort of make a documentary about the different species that are out there because it's one of the less explored places on planet Earth. And there's tons of animals there that we don't know about that might be at risk of extinction or, you know, harm from people as we start encroaching on their territory slowly. And it's something that I want to dive into and explore. I think you may have just found your ikigai. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, what's your, what's your process like? What's your filmmaking process like? Do you always have a storyline that you are there to? Do you always have something written that, uh, you know, that you fall back on? Or? 
Yeah, so I've, I've sort of honed in the craft now on my channel to three different types of content I create. One of which being the sort of standard travel vlogs that I make. These are like, I would say the, the most boring videos for me to create. Not saying that I'm bored of them, but they are just the most easy to create at this point, which involve a lot of talking, showing off a place, talking about the food, the culture, whatever, and drone footage and music and all that stuff. And they, they serve a point, right? Because they inspire people to travel. Especially they work really well in like tropical destinations. And I enjoy those to a degree. It's what started my channel. It's what honed my channel into its craft. It's what made my channel is those videos. So I always feel grateful for creating them. But the two other types of content that I've started creating that have really helped me develop a story and learn about are the everything you need to know travel guides, which are sort of my most successful series on my channel where I take a place and break it down to its core elements and try to really provide somebody with everything that they possibly need to know about traveling to a specific location. Some have been better produced than others, but mostly the entire series has performed incredibly well on my channel. And they've been some of the most viewed videos on my channel, one of which was my New York City travel guide, which I moved to New York for six months and tried to create the number one travel guide on New York City. And I managed to do it. I actually managed to do it. I think now the video has deranked a little bit, but it's still, if you look up New York City travel guide, the traveling clap, my channel is either one or two or three on the list, like somewhere near Expedia, which to me is one of those things where I feel so incredibly proud of. And the creative process of that was tons of research, tons of knowledge. I walked the streets of New York for literally six months on end in the harsh winter, like through the cold and just try to learn the most about the city and make the best travel guide on the internet. And I really do believe my whole heart that it is the best travel guide about New York City that exists out there. And then besides that, the third sort of content that I create are the documentaries that I've made. So I've made a few documentaries under my belt now, which have been the elephant documentary I made in Sri Lanka, a whale shark documentary that I made here in the Philippines, the Tuk Tuk tournament documentary that I made in partnership with Red Bull and with Tuk Tuk Rental.com in Sri Lanka. And then the documentary that I made of me getting arrested here in the Philippines during the lockdown. Those are way more produced, way more effort. You know, those are the videos that take me months to edit. Um, where there's a lot of research put into them, a lot of writing, physical writing, like I'll write pages upon pages of script and delete scenes and film things over and over again in narration and hosting. Like that's where the real, real effort into the videos come in. So it's sort of like the travel vlogs are the easiest to produce. I can make them on a whim, make them from the day to day. The travel guides are, you know, way more effort and produced into them. You know, they take a little longer to produce. I can, I can whip one up in like a week to two weeks, maybe a month. And there's something that take a little longer. The documentaries are a whole other beast. They're like the top tier, the works that I'm usually the most proud of and the ones that cause me the most stress to create, that cost me the most money, but they always are the ones that I'm, I'm most proud of and happy with when they're finished. Right. So three types of content. One is the vlog, the other one is the itinerary and the third one is the documentary. And the documentary is the one which you put all of your filmmaking efforts into. Yes, 100%. Right. So can you run me through what it takes to make one of your easiest types of content, the travel vlog? I've been filming a lot of them with my phone recently. I, I bought an iPhone 11 Pro right. and it's been a super versatile tool for me. So I've been trying to make these vlogs easy to produce as possible. Because I feel like the more disconnected I am from the technology I'm using, you know, I, there was a period of time where I tried using a big DSLR with a gimbal and, you know, to try to make the fanciest looking videos. But I realized that that is almost defeating the whole purpose of me traveling and making these day to day videos because I'm more focused on the filming than I am on the actual experiencing. And so I decided to try to bring down everything to just a cell phone, make the editing easy, 
I'll wake up in the morning. You know, I usually don't know what I'm heading into for the day. That's the sort of the struggle with making a travel video is that you don't really know what to expect a lot of times because you're visiting a new place. So I'll just sort of narrate. I'll walk through my day. I'll, I'll shoot a lot of B-roll to show people what I'm actually looking at and try to over while I'm speaking. And I really, really love filming with my drone. Drone photography and videography has become one of my favorite things, not to like toot my own horn, but I really think I've become very good at it. And I'm very proud of like my footage that I've created on there. I've got some incredible shots from around the world and some incredible moments that I've caught via drone. So I love interjecting a lot of that into the footage, especially when it's about a specific location or a geographical site. And I mean, the point is a lot of times it's to either inspire somebody to travel to the specific place I'm going to or to get their brain thinking or to learn something. So I'll try to introduce facts, things that I learn, new language, new words. I usually do a word of the day segment at the end of my videos, telling somebody a word that I learned that day. I love bringing information. I love bringing history or science or, you know, if I'm looking at a mountain or a volcano or a caldera, like I like to tell people how this thing formed and how many millions of years ago it did or what kind of rocks I'm looking at or if it's an animal, tell them what kind of species it is, what we're looking at and why we're experiencing this and just try to set myself apart a little bit from the other travel vloggers who are, you know, a lot of times just showing you the best and the greatest and the, and the fanciest and bikinis and, and all this stuff. It's not stuff that I can really offer. <laughs> so I like to interject a little bit more knowledge, a little more culture, a little more experience into everything. Pretty cool that you're only filming with the iPhone 11. I think that's actually makes this whole travel vlogger lifestyle more accessible to people, especially me. I'm quite inspired by the fact that you can get such good looking videos with just a phone camera. Anyone can. One of the biggest goals I've had since December, I've pretty much just been filming on my iPhone. Some of the biggest right. videos I made this year were filmed almost entirely on a phone and a GoPro. A lot of people feel like they get in their head and they just think that they need these fancy tech items to become a YouTuber or to become a creator. It's like you have the power to film something in HD, 720p. That's enough to get by. That's enough to tell your story. Yeah. So I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the more you spend time stressing about how your video looks, the less present you're going to be. And you don't really need it anyways. Like you said, 720p is enough for anybody. Yeah. So if somebody were to scan my channel, you'll see tons of mistakes, tons of editing errors, things I had to rush through, things I didn't cut right. Like it's, it's a part of it. Yeah. But the, the more I produce, the more I learn. Every video that I put out, I learn something new. I find out a new trick. I, I do something that I didn't do before. So it's you innovate over and over and over again. Being a perfectionist as a YouTuber will get you nowhere. Uh, it's very, very difficult to produce content as a perfectionist. And it's something that I had to let go of. I used to be a lot more of a perfectionist, but I've let go of that recently. You know, I, I don't need it to look perfect. I don't need everything to look bubbly and incredible and cinematic because that's not what travel is. It's not what life is. And I think people appreciate the more raw look into travel anyways. The more raw look into travel. I think that's what Anthony Bourdain would have wanted. How long does it take for you to edit one of your videos? It ranges anywhere between like to 16 hours I think on the high end maybe maybe 24 hours on the high end it really right. depends on the video though right 4 to 16 hours alright I think that's a little bit on the higher side than I was expecting because considering your uh, posting skill yeah. do you travel with anybody usually or is it just uh, by yourself I started traveling alone when I started traveling 6 years ago I did most of it alone I've had a yearning for a partner like I've, I've wanted to travel with somebody constantly this year when I left on this I've, I've been blessed to have a few long-term travel partners, but I'm still technically on my own. Yeah. Like I'm not with anybody right now, but I am looking for it. Like I do want a constant travel partner to have with me, whether that's a, you know, like a girlfriend, a significant other that I end up dating or just somebody I meet that's super cool that I can vibe with, you know, but I am currently alone. I have great friends here on the Island, but as a traveler, I'm technically alone. Yeah. 
So that ladies, uh, we have Tal Oran, who's currently single. Yeah, DMs are open. Open and ready. <laughs> pretty cool, pretty cool. How do you find uh, people at these different trips that you go to? A lot of recent friends that I've made, especially the travel friends, have been via YouTube. They've been other YouTubers um, that I've met through the comments or just because we do something similar, we end up connecting somehow. Like a lot of the best friends that I've met recently have been online, either through YouTube or Facebook pages or couch surfing or whatever it is. So the, yeah, like I've been using the internet as a real tool. It's pretty rare for me that I meet people at like a hostel or something like that and then end up traveling with them for a while. But yeah, I think most of it has been through like the internet, through Facebook or YouTube or couch surfing or something like that. Any of these relationships like uh, made it, I don't know. I'm guessing you had uh, a lot of uh, strong bonds with the people that you've met along the way, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Some yeah, of my, right? I would say lifelong friends have been through, uh-huh. through travel. Has it ever been hard for you to leave a place because of one of these bonds? It's getting easier and easier as the years go by because it just becomes something I'm used to. The solo travel is a pretty lonely life as is because you meet a lot of amazing people and then always end up having to say goodbye. And I think it just depends on the length of time. Like when I leave here in the Philippines this time around, whenever that does happen, it's going to probably hit pretty hard because I've been here for a while. And when I left Sri Lanka, that was really tough. I was living there for three months in an office in, in the capital city of Colombo with tons of locals and foreigners that had become family. So when I left there, it was like really heartbreaking. But you just sort of get used to it after a while. You brush it off your shoulders and you realize that like you probably will see them again. The world is not what it used to be back in the day when people were sailing across the ocean to get places. And we're so connected nowadays that like even if I want to miss them, I can just chat them on WhatsApp or see them through video. So I, I never really have to miss them, miss them so much. And because we're so connected nowadays, you know, obviously this is like pre-pandemic talk. I don't really know the way the world is heading now, but assuming that things go back to normal, you know, travel is never really too difficult nowadays. Flying across the world is as easy as just booking the flight and going. Yeah, I think that'd be one of the few hard parts of a lifestyle of the travel vlogger lifestyle. It's that you make these really strong connections and have these really vivid experiences with these different people in in a really short amount of time. And then you have to immediately just leave them behind and, you know, find a new set of people to have another set of experiences with. I think that'd be the hardest part of this lifestyle for me. It's always got a little bit of a, a heartbreak to it. But I mean, I think every goodbye has helped me get a little stronger, like prepare myself for the next one. Yeah, I guess you live in your lawn. How important is it for you to have like company on a trip? If you could choose between the traveling by yourself all the time versus traveling with company all the time, which would you choose? I think nowadays, I would say with company. Like early on in my traveling career, I, I really much preferred to travel alone because I was working through a lot of things. I was traveling a lot as a form of escapism in the beginning and I needed to be alone a lot of times. And I did a lot of dumb shit very early on that I don't think would have been good for a lot of people to come with me to do anyways. <laughs> I had to make a lot of mistakes to learn how to really travel. But now that I'm a, I would say I'm a well-seasoned traveler now, you know, like I know what I'm doing. I don't mess around too much and I've got it pretty honed down. I would say definitely, yeah, with company. I like experiencing things with other people. It's been really nice to, to have people around me and just to support each other. Right. Right. So when you say dumb shit as a somebody young, what, what exactly did you do? And what does well-seasoned traveler mean? Like, what's the difference? Man, like dumb shit, like climb a mountain and hang off a cliff because you've never been on a mountain or a cliff before. <laughs> Maybe I won't do now as often. Back in the day when I first started traveling, I was really into hiking because I'd never really climbed a mountain before. So anything I saw, I would hike. Like if even if it was the smallest hill, I'd be like, I can climb that? Let me climb that. 
I would just do dumb stuff to get a selfie or to like film this one video clip or just like I would put myself at risk a lot of times, like put myself in situations where I would run out of money and trap myself somewhere or go into a questionable neighborhood or a questionable city by myself. Like things that I, I won't really do nowadays, or if I do do them, I'll be way more prepared nowadays. I'll, I'll take the, the proper precautions to prepare myself if I'm doing something dangerous. Cause now I have, you know, the financial means and I have the knowledge on how to take care of myself and I'm not as naive. And I think, I mean, that's exactly what being a well-seasoned traveler is, is like the more places you go to, the more things you experience, travel starts becoming a bit more of a schedule. It becomes normal. As crazy as travel seems like nowadays when I fly into a country, there's almost like a formula of what I do. It's not so surprising anymore. Like if I were to fly to Brazil tomorrow, I would really have like a 10 step process of be like, okay, how do I acclimate to this country? Where do I find my Airbnb? How do I book in? Like, how do I stay? It's just part of my life when a lot of other people would be like so shocked by the, whoa, this is how they do this here. And this, you drive a motorcycle like this here. And oh my God, people drive like crazy or the food is so wild. I've experienced so much that rarely does things surprise me now, which in a good thing, in a good sense, I, I can appreciate a lot more now. Like when I see a crazy street food or when I see a crazy person driving or when I see some amazing music that I haven't heard before, instead of being so shocked by it, like I did in the beginning, I now I can really appreciate those things, like appreciate them for what they are and the differences between each country. What would you say your traveling philosophy is like? I've traveled a little bit myself. I've done like a three month, absolutely nothing compared to yours, but I've done three months of continuous traveling and I was sort of proud of it until I, mm-hmm. I started watching your videos. Right? You should be proud of it. <laughs> right. Right. But for me, I found that just going to a place and like looking at the things around and like eating the food just didn't really do it for me. I had to do something hard. Right. Like, so I went to a place called Rishikesh in India. And what I did was I cycled up a a mountain. I cycled up about 25 kilometers up a mountain and I came down all in one day. And I thought I really value that day in my life. Right. Because I guess I really experienced something that day. For me, that experience of doing something hard is a large part of traveling. What would you say yours is? I think you hit it like head on, bro. Doing something like that, specifically something like what you just mentioned. Like, I don't know much about Rishikesh, but like, I know that traveling 25 kilometers up a mountain is a difficult task. (laughs) And I know that doing something so physically enduring will make you appreciate a place. And I think I find myself doing a lot of things like that frequently where I I do things that people question themselves and like, why are you doing this? Like, what is the reason? And I don't need to answer that question anyone but myself. I'm the only one who needs to really know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think the biggest philosophy for me has been to find moments where I find value in or I find personal growth in. And a lot of that recently has been coming through meeting locals and trying to promote tourism to areas that are understood or going or traveling to places that are misunderstood in the eyes of media and the eyes of people. Just being able to travel somewhere that people have a negative connotation on or some sort of stigma about my biggest philosophy has been just trying to explore those places that people don't understand or people want to cast a bad light on and try to find the good in them. Try to see if there's anything interesting going on or to see if it's really as bad as people make it out to seem. Like 99% of the times I've been, I've been happily surprised that they're not as bad as people make them out to be. Good. So you're trying to give back traveling in a way. A lot more. Yeah. One of the videos that I saw on your channel that was super interesting to me was... Uh, how you afford to travel so much or at least how you afford to get to so many places at so little cost. Can you just talk about that for a second? Okay, so, so disclaimer, I, I did make that video about, I think it's three years ago now. So I was traveling way differently than I do now. You know, now traveling okay. is my full-time job. I'll give you the advice that, you know, the 19-year, I think I was 19 then, 19-year-old tall will tell you or 20-year-old tall will tell you. 
First thing is lower expectations completely. Put them down to the ground and then go below that. <laughs> People have this idea that travel is waking up in a five-star hotel near the Eiffel Tower, you know, and like everything needs to be picturesque and beautiful. And if you're going to travel, it needs to be the way you imagine it in movies or in TV where people have these nonstop and incredible experiences. The reality of travel is like, man, 50% of the time it's absolute shit. It's like getting diarrhea and shitting your brains out for four days in a hotel room or sleeping on a dirty train or taking a, a smelly bus ride or a questionable taxi driver, a questionable bus ride on a cliff where you feel like you're going to die. And it's the stuff that not always travel vloggers always share or that travel people tell you about because you usually soak on the good moments rather than the bad moments. So the number one thing is lower your expectations with everything. Don't imagine that travel is going to be some sort of like movie because it's not. Sometimes it's hard work too. And especially if you want to pursue it as a full-time thing, you just got to make sure you keep your reality in check. Um, and the second you do that, you start realizing the situations that you'll be accepting upon yourself where sometimes you'll be sleeping in a questionable place that won't cost as much money as sleeping in a five-star hotel. So for example, when I went to Paris for the first four times I went there, I never stayed in a hotel. I always stayed in some sort of random hostel or couch surf and try to sleep on somebody's couch. I would never be more than a 40-minute walk from the Eiffel Tower, but I was still a 40-minute walk from the Eiffel Tower, which is an incredible thing to be able to stay for somebody who's in, from Miami. You know, same thing in London. Very early on when I started traveling, I would go to London and London is a notoriously expensive city. The two brides there are 275 pounds. So it's like maybe $4 for a ride on the subway one way, which is very expensive, like extremely expensive. So early on when I used to travel, especially when I make it to London, instead of taking a ride that would take two minutes on the subway, I would walk for 30 minutes across the city. I would lower my expectations. I would just walk across the city. I didn't have anything to do. I had no time to kill. I wasn't rushing anywhere. So I was just, let's do it. Let's, let's walk instead of spending this money. And I would use that money to get food or I'd use that money to find a place to sleep for the night or use it for something else that I could, I could save that money for. So it's about being very frugal with your money if you don't have a lot, especially when you're traveling in the beginning, trying to spend your money in the smartest ways possible and the ways where it can give you the most experiences, stretching your money out as long as possible. I would be lying if I told you that it, it wasn't due to, you know, I think 70% of just amazing people that I met on the road. I have had all the amazing experience that I've had due to the incredible people that I met on the road who have helped me, have propped me up, who have given me a place to sleep for the night. And I think a lot of people don't realize how friendly and genuine a lot of people are out there in the world. And a lot of people are so willing to help you and to take care of you and to, and to put you in. And that's something I've made some of my closest friends that way, you know, traveling around the world. And it's something that I think most people don't even consider. And it's not something that you should necessarily rely on, but if you're going to be traveling, you'll be encountering people like that. And a lot of times they're going to help you in tough situations and they're going to help you, you know, stretch your money out longer when it comes to accommodation or food or something like that. Uh, it's just about applying yourself and, and keeping that open mind of like, yes, saying yes to a lot of opportunities. Maybe not necessarily things that will put you in danger, but saying yes to as many opportunities as you can will really, really help you in the long run. I think one thing that really stayed with me was the fact that you realize how positive and like helpful random people can be, which is just something travel taught me as well, even in those three months. Yeah, there's so many genuine people out. I think like a lot of people have this sort of perception about the world around them, that it's a really dangerous place outside of the place that they're living at. So like if you're from India or if you're from Africa or if you're from Asia somewhere or like from China or if you're from Japan or if you're from the US, 
you have an idea that the place that you're at is usually the safest place because you know it, because it's a familiar place. So you feel like traveling across the world to somewhere else could be super dangerous or scary because you don't know it. There's obviously exceptions to the rule. Yeah, there's war-torn places around the world that you shouldn't go to. But a lot of times, you know, that portrayal that you have in your brain of a place being dangerous is, is usually false. It's usually perfectly safe or as safe as or even safer than the place that you're from. And you end up usually having incredible travel experiences when you go there. True, true, true. The world is a lot friendlier when you're out there exploring it, I guess. Now, I have questions about your YouTube journey itself, your journey as a creator. How is the journey from zero to a thousand subs? And how is that in comparison to a thousand to 170k subs that you have right now? It's been a crazy process of up and down. I would say my first uh, three years on YouTube, I balanced about 5,000 subscribers in my first three years, which is a, a pretty slow growth for most people. But that's because I never pursued it in the beginning as a career or a job. I never came at it with a sort of attack mode. I usually just sort of telling people about what I was doing in life and showing the way I, I was learning how to become a traveler. And I was very young at the time too. Like starting it at 17, I was literally like a baby. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I was just like making these crazy decisions of like, oh, am I going to go to college and all my friends are going to school and what am I doing? And should I join the Israeli army? Should I, should I stay back home? Should I try traveling? Should I work with my father? Like all kinds of, of crazy formative decisions that most people don't really need to think about when they're making that decision of traveling or not. I don't know. I think slowly over time, it just, the, the image became a little bit clearer, if that makes sense. It's just action provided inspiration, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like slowly over the years, things started becoming a little bit more clear. So you had your first real big jump at the 5,000 subscriber mark? At about 5,000 subscribers is when I had my first video, like quote unquote viral. Mm-hmm. which was my uh, cargo ship series that yeah, I made, yeah, I made yeah. crossing the Atlantic Ocean on a cargo ship. Yeah, right. And it, it really happened in one night. Like my channel went from 5,000 to 15,000 subscribers and it's what kickstarted me doing YouTube full-time. So that was the moment where you realized that you wanted to become a YouTuber, that you realized that this could be like a full-time profession. When I saw the power of what one video could do for me, how it changed my life, I always tell people what I it, it like sort of lit a fire under my ass where it was like, okay, you got to put in the hours now. You got to put in the work and see what you can make of this. And I just sort of let the ball start rolling from then. And it's, it's never stopped. There's been ups and downs. Like if you think of it sort of like a roller coaster and a ball rolling on the roller coaster, you got really good high points and then really, really horrible low points. And it happens very frequently. It goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. And some years are really great. and Some years are really bad. Right. Some years like this year, completely unpredictable. We have no idea where this is heading. Right. But overall, it's been a very like exponentially good process. Or, or the year after year, there's more and more growth. So I, I really have zero complaints. It's been it's been a crazy adventure, like a crazy story of an adventure too. And the, the origins of how I got here, everything that came to be to get me here, has been just crazy. These ups and downs that you're talking about reminds me of a startup's journey, and I guess that's what a lot of YouTubers are seeing their careers as also. It's a, it's a way to sort of make money off of their passions. Talking about making money, how long did it take for you to make a steady income out of out of YouTube? Uh, it took about just short of four years, I think, to start making really a steady income. You weren't really concentrating the first three years. Like you weren't... Yeah, three years I was balancing YouTube on the back burner and just doing whatever job I could to make money. After the around the three-year mark, when I hit 5,000 subscribers, I really jumped the gun and said, okay, I'm going to try doing this full-time for a year. I head out into the world with no money and then that video sort of blew up and gave me some money in my bank account and I 
invested that money into another series, like from the cargo mm-hmm. ship series, I did another cargo ship series. And right. then that took off. I had a little bit more money to play with. And then I did the Trans-Siberian Railway and then that took off. So I had a little more money to play with. So I did a series around England and then that took off and I had a little bit more money to play with. And I, I did a series around uh, uh, in the Philippines and then that really took off. And so then I had more than a little bit more money to play with. I, I started breaking even in my bank account a little more. So I was actually okay. making some profit. And then I went to Japan and then that series was my biggest series ever. I had like my biggest video on YouTube ever from there. The Love um, Hotel. The Love Hotel video. And that right. made me a lot of money. And was that's when things started changing. Like really, I was like, okay, now I don't have this constant pressure on my neck of like, you got to make your money back on every single possible video. It's like, you can take some hits here and there, start stretching yourself creatively, start exploring new options, start delving into different content and see what you can make of it. Uh, it's what gave me the confidence to like move to New York City and play around there. Like it's been a constant game of just trying to try different things always. But that really, it really started like changing for me. Like my life really started changing the first time I came to the Philippines. Right, right. But do you think there is a formula to this success of yours? Do you think, like you said, uh, it started with the cargo ship, and then you took that money and you went and made another cargo ship series, and then you took that money and you went to the transatlantic. Uh, do you think that the formula for you would be maybe that you figure out these little adventure trips that are sort of niches and then you make your uh, video about them? Is that Would you say that that is your niche? The thing is with travel vlogging, it's, it's probably like the worst genre on YouTube to get into. The, the formula isn't really there. You know, like let's say if you want to start a gaming channel on YouTube or like a channel about history, you just make videos about that topic and people will flock to it over time. It won't happen overnight, but people will come to it eventually especially if you're making good content. With travel, you're sort of always going through this loop of attracting audiences of places that will stop watching you once you leave there. So for example, if I go to the Philippines or if I go to India, if I go to Sri Lanka, if I go to different countries in Europe, people from those countries will watch me while I'm there and they'll watch the videos I made there. But once I leave, they'll stop watching. It's sort of just like a self-gratifying thing to see a foreigner from outside of their country coming to their country and experiencing things there. And then they just stop watching once you leave. That's the generalization. That's most people. Like I've had some amazing, incredible viewers who have stuck around no matter where I go. But that's sort of like the nightmare with travel vlogging is there's just sort of no consistency with it. It's you make content for in the moment and it's very hard to continue attracting people after the fact. And the fact that it also takes a large amount of investment from your end, as opposed to something like a gaming channel, something like a travel vlog takes a large investment from you. I think it doesn't have to because there's travel vloggers who succeed very well. Like there's a guy named Balden Bankrupt. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's huge on YouTube. He's got like a million subscribers. I don't think he's ever had a single drone shot on his videos. He's always only filmed on his like phone or a GoPro, which is very small investment. And the editing is very rough. The videos are very raw. So I would say they're almost easier than making gaming videos because you're just, he's literally just traveling and having fun and filming it. It just depends on the amount of time you invest into it. So it can be really easy. It's just a bit of a nightmare trying to get a consistent audience without settling. You know, if you settle somewhere, then you can find something. But I'm a person who has a very hard time committing to anything. So the the commitment issue is sort of like a shackle. That actually leads me to my next question then. So do you you set out with the question, hey, do I want to make what people want to see? Or you set out with what would be fun for me to make? When I was living in New York, it was a lot of what people want to see. Right. I think for the, for the first couple of years on YouTube, I was trying to follow a lot of trends. Mm-hmm. I think nowadays, I have no idea where I'm heading creatively. 
But like I said, the biggest passion for me the last couple of trips, especially through Sri Lanka and now the Philippines, has been promoting tourism to areas where people don't know of or are scared of. So I can't say for the future that I won't go back to like following trends because at the end of the day, this is my business and I need to make money. If I'm not making any money doing what I'm doing now, which I don't think will be the, the, the problem, but if that ends up happening, then yeah, maybe I'll go back to just making videos that people want to watch because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not going to just make videos that nobody wants to watch. But at the end of the day, it's my journey and what I'm experiencing. So, yeah. Right. So let's talk about money again for a second. Which which platform pays you better, Facebook or YouTube? Uh, YouTube for sure. But Facebook has paid me more money than YouTube has ever paid me. Okay. But right now, YouTube pays me more. Yeah. Right. Right. So if, to someone who's just starting off, what would you tell them to do? Like uh, in regards to content, in regards to where they post, uh, travel world. Let's say you're talking to Tal uh, at 18, but he's starting now. I think it depends on where you're from. For example, people from the United States, English speaking countries, a majority of them don't really use Facebook to watch video. Mm -hmm. Uh, So YouTube is a great platform for that. But if you're from India, if you're from the Philippines, if you're from Israel even, and you want to make travel videos, the Filipino, Indian, Israelis that I know that make travel videos, they have way more success on Facebook than they do on YouTube. Because there's more people from their countries watching on those platforms rather than on YouTube. So I think first you just sort of try to find out who your audience is and where they're watching from. If you're from Portugal, try to figure out if most of your people are going to be watching on YouTube or on Facebook. If you're from Colombia, try to find the same thing out and then focus on that avenue. So I I think it really depends on the place, but it's pretty easy to find out where most of your people are watching from. You just sort of look through your friends and ask them, like ask your inner circles and your outer circles, where, where do you watch your content? Do you watch it on TikTok? Do you watch it on Facebook? Do you watch it on YouTube? And then follow that. Right. So you think we should just follow the trail of attention and sort of reverse engineer our success. So who do you think is doing the YouTube game really well? Like who inspires you among your peers? I have a very good friend of mine, David Hoffman, a Miami-based travel video creator. And he's traveled a lot through India, which is a country I really, really want to go to. Oh, um, you've never been to India? No, I've never been. But I, I, ah. I was supposed to be around this time of year. But, but obviously that is all gone away now. But... He's a creator who I've always looked up to. He's been like a big brother to me since I was very early on on YouTube, like since before 10,000 subscribers. And he's always sort of propped me up. And I've watching him grow has made me so happy. He's been just killing it on YouTube. So he's one of my uh, very, very good friends who I've seen just continuously grow. I have another really good friend of mine. His name is Pierre Lambert. He has a photography channel. He inspires me from a, a direction of... I met this man in the Philippines when I was here three years ago, and he was doing travel vlogging similar to what I was doing. And at some point, he stopped being happy with that. And he shifted avenues completely because he's a photographer. He's, he's been a professional photographer for years. And he shifted into making videos on a photography channel. Like he just started making videos from a brand new channel from scratch. And I watched the guy grow. Within like two years, he went from zero to over 100,000 subscribers. I think he's passed me in subscribers since then. And it's been super inspiring because I saw this guy like, you know, st- have passion for something and then lose passion for it, and then regain passion for something else and kill it, like really do an incredible job with it. So, you know, th- these are some examples of close, close friends of mine on YouTube that I've been super inspired by. And they're not necessarily the biggest channels on, on YouTube, but they're people that are, are real and they're killing it and what they're doing. Cool, cool, cool. I'll be following the both of them then. How many people do you know among your travel blog buddies who you could collaborate with? 
man, I hope it's endless. You know, I, I love collaborating with people. The more video creators I get to work with, the happier I am because I always learn something new from them. I love learning about their process and their struggles and their successes. And I find myself always like pleasantly surprised by, by the people that I meet online. Right. I'm glad that you're such a fan of collaboration because essentially that's what Creator Stack is trying to do, right? How much of an improvement would it be in your life as a travel vlogger to have somebody to collaborate anywhere in the world that you went to? I think it would be amazing. Yeah, I think it would right. be an incredible thing. Right. So the more people that you can collaborate with, it's definitely a plus, right? I think very early on, let's say when you're starting your YouTube journey or your journey as a creator, one of the biggest things, one of the most important things is to have a circle. Um, even if they're people that you don't know or the people that you do know physically, like having a circle of online friends to prop you up is one of the best things. When I started, I started YouTube in 2014 with about maybe 200 other channels that I was friendly with. That we used to comment on each other's videos and, and talk and chat. And I'm probably the only person left standing. Actually, there's one other channel left standing from it that I know of. Almost everybody gave up. But having those people early on to prop you up, to push you through the hard times and the good times was really, really awesome. So I think the more people that you can collaborate with, you can work with, you can interact with, especially as a creator in the beginning is one of the best things to have. Having people on the same journey as you helps, just sort of like pushes you along the same way. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So do you have any dream collaborations, people that you'd love to work with? Ironically, to what I mentioned earlier about not wanting to make the documentaries be so professional, I think working with like BBC or, or Nacho or, or Discovery Channel on like an animal documentary that feels a little more like human and it feels a little less professional would be really cool trying to pitch them something like that. But when it comes to YouTube, I, I really don't have like a dream person I would want to collaborate with. I, I respect a lot of YouTube creators, but I don't idolize them a lot. So I've realized how human other YouTubers are, how normal a lot of them are. And so I'm almost never like impressed by meeting somebody. My dream collaboration would just be to continue meeting awesome people on YouTube that always surprise me with how awesome they actually are. Like just to continue meeting these incredible people that end up being super, like even cooler from their videos in person. Because that's been my experience so far. And I just hope that that keeps happening. Pretty awesome, dude. Coming back to YouTube again, uh, what's your posting schedule like? Uh, how often do you think one has to post especially when they're starting out to be successful. I used to try to keep to like a three day a week schedule, but uh, especially with the whole COVID thing, it's, it's sort of impossible right now. I'm not putting too much pressure on myself, but I will tell for like cre creators just starting. That's one of the best things you can do for yourself is to set a schedule. So your viewers know when videos are going to be coming out. Right. But three days a week is quite stressful. No, I assume it can lead to burnout quite easily. Uh, it's super stressful for one person, but I uh, will tell you, it, it makes you a hell of a lot more money than once a week. Basically, the more effort that you put in, the more money you make, especially when you're a creator at my level. So if I were to make five videos a week, I'd probably be making maybe 20 to 30% more money than I do now, which is a really nice margin. It's just very difficult to do that on your own. So I can't really do it right now. The more you put out, the more money you'll make. Right. So how much would a YouTuber at your level make from YouTube alone every month? There is literally no way to answer that question money changes on a month to month basis. So I'll give you a nice rundown. On average, every thousand views is about one US dollar. Your price per thousand views is called your CPM. That is usually $1. It depends on what parts of the world you're at. So like the more developed world, quote unquote, the more Western world, the ranges can be usually between like five to $10, sometimes as high as $20 during the Christmas season, which can make you a lot of money. When you're traveling through places like India or the Philippines, for example, it can be as low as 50 cents. 
when I was in Sri Lanka, I was getting like 30 cents sometimes for a thousand views. So I was making very, very little money for 30,000 views, you know, sometimes less than $10. So it really depends. There's no way to tell you like a monthly average. If I make 20 videos a month and I'll make way more money than when I made like 10 videos a month. But a good way for you to be able to calculate it is just if you want to know how much money a channel has made, just go onto their about section, see how many millions of views they've brought in or how many videos their channel has brought in exactly, and then calculate how much money they would have made off of a thousand views being $1 off of that. So let's say a million views on a channel is about a thousand dollars. Right. So I think that's a lot lower than what most people would have been expecting. It's a lot less glamorous than people make it out to be. <laughs> We're right. not like bomb, you know, <laughs> not a lot right. of us. I mean, there are people who are, I think couple channels, like channels with, with two people usually make way more money than a single or solo traveler. Interesting. Like two people traveling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's, it caters to a wider audience. And uh, also, I'm never ever going to be like the poster boy for travel. Because it's just like, I don't look like what the ideal world traveler looks like to most people or like backpacker looks like. I'm very far removed from the ideal look of it. Really? Uh, so, your and your beard? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the more Western image for a backpacker is sort of like a shredded white guy with long hair. And, you know, it's, it's got a specific sort, sort of look or like a really hot girl in a bikini all the time traveling only to tropical countries. Not so much like an Indian looking Israeli guy who's sort of chubby on the Trans-Siberian Railway, like shitting in like a metal bucket. That's like not the ideal <laughs> like look for a, a world traveler. So I never think, I don't think I'll ever cater uh, 100% to that audience. Right. And I'm glad you don't. I think I speak on behalf of like the 170,000 fans that you have all over the world that we love you just the way you are. <laughs> so dude, I'm just going to just end this with the last uh, question of the day what's the end goal here from youtube where does tal see himself in 10 years uh hopefully not doing what i'm doing now i I would really like to i wouldn't say elevate out of this but i would love to like move into something else at some point as much as i love what i do now i think that like i have more room for creativity in my brain i think that what i'm going to be pursuing now is trying to delve more into those wildlife documentaries and see how that goes for me but i think overall like trying to focus less on smaller pieces of video and and focus more on larger content, like larger, more produced, uh, longer videos that really speak to people. And and, and I don't know, and see where life takes me from there. I'm still young and I have a lot of time to figure out what I want to do. So I'm sort of letting every year play out as its own sort of story. Right. Yeah, 24, I think experienced and done more than most people do at 80. So I think you're set, set in that way. Yeah, I'm very grateful for the the life I've lived so far. So we are pretty grateful for having lived it with you with your videos. <laughs> Thanks, man. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. This has been awesome. My pleasure, bro. My pleasure. Anytime. That was Tal Oran on the Creator Nation podcast, powered by Creator Sack. Make sure to visit and like Creator Sack social accounts and subscribe to the Creator Nation podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, so you'll never miss a show. Next time, we'll have on Carlos Costa, a Spanish-born travel tuber. Carlos has been creating since he was 14 and he's traveled to over 75 countries. So you can look forward to an interesting conversation in a couple of weeks. Till then guys, keep creating.